it's kind of interesting because when you start talking about the return of Christ, you have all kinds of people that jump all over the place. I remember when I was, you know, starting to grow up in the church and stuff, there was always this, Jesus is returning right away and, you know, had the, the, the um, rapture movies coming out and stuff. So, you know, uh, the typical 10-year-old, I was worried about, man, I got to get raptured after I at least get my license. I want to learn how to drive or that, you know, there was always something else. Now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, come Lord soon. Um, you know, you kind of, your body breaks down, you get older, you just want out of here. Um, there's no, no surprises left that I know of, at least. But, um, you know, you kind of sit there, and, and there's been different people that have set dates, you know, date setting, you know, oh, it's going to be on this day or that day. His return's coming. We don't know when. It's like a thief in a night. I think there was the last guy, Harold Camping or whatever, a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember, there was billboards up and, you know, Christ returning, and they, they had one date, and they moved it a couple months, and got people sold their houses and everything else for this ministry, and he's coming on this date, and the blood moons or whatever, and, you know, and, and it really does a disservice or discredits the church when people start setting day, oh, it's on this day or this time, especially when the scripture says, hey, we don't know the day or even the hour. So not the day, but not, nonetheless, not even the hour. And so, you know, and it, and it, the thought of him returning isn't, you know, when you have people that got all excited and, you know, gave to their ministry, you know, you tell them, oh, Christ's returning, they're, they're going to be really kind of turned off by you in that sense. And it really shouldn't be that thing. It shouldn't be a fear of nothing like that. When you know that God loves us so much, that's going to be a joyous day when he returns for us, when he finally ends all the sin and destruction in this world when he comes for his body when he comes for us his bride and we should be looking forward to that joyfully just as much as when you were dating and your betrothed is coming over to see you you get excited hopefully you were getting excited you know i don't think there's many arranged marriages in here but there's there's you know especially in our culture that should be an exciting day and um you know, we should be ready. We should be ready for these things. I mean, um, our culture, it's a little different. I mean, you can see, you know, if you had a house or if you've ever watched some of those sh sh shows with the old English, you know, kind of thing, and you have a whole house of servants. Well, when the master's returning, all the servants are there and they're all lined up out front waiting. And it's not like, you know, if they see him way off over the hills or something, but it's not like you had, okay, we're going to text him, we're going to be there in five minutes or something. We, we still do things, get ready for parties or graduation parties, and we'll prepare the house, you know, or if you have guests coming over, you get things in order. Um, along those lines, and, and we should be getting ready, you know. It, it's kind of funny. Um, the only things we kind of, I mean, you look at the things we do prepare for. Are we preparing for the return of Christ? I think we prepare for retirement, right? those who are wise of us, and the rest of us that don't think we prepare for retirement or preparing for the zombie apocalypse or something, right, or survivalist, and I'm sure one day I'll meet one of you in here, you guys will have a basement full of guns and a bus buried out back and a, you know, filtration system or whatever on it, but, um, you know, we, we prepare for certain things, and we're supposed to be repair, preparing for Christ's return. And our history, I mean, there's people that kind of have this circular reason, you know, the life, circle of life stuff. No, our history is very much in a line. There is a beginning and we are heading towards an end. And so as we look at the scripture and we go through this morning, it's kind of kind of bring those things out. And, and as we, we go through it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Some of... Um, 
some of the the interesting thing is every generation, even Paul in the old te- in the Bible, they were expecting Christ's return right away. They're expecting the second coming. They were expecting him to come. And the scripture, as you go through it, very much wants us to be ready for his return. And we should be living in a way where we are ready to go. I mean, there's, there's things like some of the resurgence of some of the theologies um, that Israel is not Israel. Israel, the promises of Israel are for the church. And, and it's not, um, you know, there. You can kind of look back and, and if you go back, you know, two, three hundred years, everybody thought the promises for the nation of Israel in the Bible for a long time was not about the nation of Israel because they don't exist. Until 1944, they didn't exist. So obviously these promises are more allegories. um, And and so when you read it, those promises are more for the church. And now we are the new Israel and his chosen people. The problem is when you get to that, now you no longer simply translate the Bible. You simply don't read it, simply translate it. I mean, you have over a over hundred verses you have to go through, even whole chapters, where now you have to allegorize who Israel is, and it's not really the nation of Israel and all these things. And, and surprisingly, after even seeing the nation of Israel back in the land, God's promised people, they're going back to that. Some go, well, it's not really the nation of Israel, it's really the church. And it really kind of has to, if you would, dumb down the scripture and, and, and limit God, if you would. To say, okay, well, that couldn't be the nation of Israel. Well, how many of you guys have ever met an Amalekite? A Jebusite? I mean, all these old people, all these groups of people in the Old Testament, they're not, they don't exist. They got eaten up. They, Babylon took them in. You know how many times Israel was trying to wipe out? They dispersed them and move them. And, and what happens when you get a nation and they're tore apart and they don't have a homeland? You don't have that nation. That culture disappears. You end up assimilated in other cultures. But yet we still have Israelites. Why do we, out of all the thousands of people for thousands of generations, we still have these Jewish people, the Israelites? You realize that? No, no cultures take them out. Why? Because God is bigger than all of it. And he was going to make him a nation again. And he has a promise and a plan. And so when you read through the Bible and it says Israel, guess what it means? Israel. I mean, it's so complicated. But, you know, they get all this theology. Oh, it's not for this and this. And so, you know, they start to twist all this stuff around to try to fit into their way of thinking. Um, you know, many people didn't think these things were possible. There's no way that Israelite, there's going to be a nation. Seven-day war, boom, they're there again. There's, there's no way, um, you know, oh, well, we've, they lost all the scrolls, right, of knowing what tribe they're from. How can they do this? How can they even have Levi's worship in the temple if they're going to set it up again? See, there's no way it's the Israelite people, right? And most people, a hundred years ago, would all agree with you. There's no way anybody's going to know if they're from the Levitical line, all those records were stolen. Okay? Now, Ancestry.com, no. You turn in your DNA, they can go back, they can find somebody who was a Levite. They've pulled DNA from old Levite priests, and guess what they can do with it? They can know who the ancestry is, so they can have Levitical priests. And you don't need all these records that were destroyed. Kind of interesting, right? Things people would have never thought of. And so when you see the Testament and you see the promises of Israel, don't put God in a box. Believe the word for what it is and translate it simply as you go through. And so 
We'll be going through starting in verse 35 again. The thing I want to look at is kind of the three W's compared to the three W's or like the answer. First, we had the, the, the three things we kind of looked at were hypocrisy, covetousness, and anxiety. Or you could say the world, right? Being worried about the world and not God. Worldliness, hypocrisy, right? Coventry, which would be your wants, right? The things you want, covering after things, desiring things, and anxiety or worry. There's three W's for you, right? And this morning, we're going to th- see the three answers to that. Sometimes we struggle with something that God has a biblical put off, and instead of doing that, here's the three answers of the W's. We're going to have being watchful, being waiting, and working. And so in verse 35, let's look at being watchful and says, let you your waist be girded and your lamp burning. Now your waist being girded was, uh, back then they had more of a, um, a bathrobe style, I guess you'd say, or a toga style, long clothing. They didn't have jeans, Levi wasn't out. And so if you're gonna go for a run, you literally had to take the bottom of your thing up, wrap it around your waist and be able to run or you just get tripped up. And so when it says, be girding up your, your loins or your, your clothing so you can run, having your legs ready to sprint or, you know, walking around in running shorts so you're ready to run. You're not going to trip over anything, you know. This generation, you know, they missed out, which, praise God, they missed out on saggy pants. You know, there was a whole generation of saggy pants. I think some still out there. But, you know, you had to, you know, tighten up your belt. There's no way you're running if your pants are down around your knees, you know. And um, I did used to say many times in camp when these kids were there and the skinny jean thing came out, you know, the skinny thing jeans, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to sit down and my kids are going to look at my pictures and go, Dad, why is your pants so baggy? Why are you saying that? Why can't I see your boxers? What was it? Oh, it was the style at the time. Okay. I have no problem answering for that to my children. But these skinny jean things, I want you to sit down and have to explain to your child where you're wearing your mother's pants. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay. So my generation, your generation, okay. Saggy pants, you know. But you had to gird them up, you know. There's no way you're running track with your pants around your knees. I've seen people try. It doesn't work too well. And so the ideal is to be ready. Be ready to run. Have your lamps burning. So if you're at night, Back then, you weren't, you know, weren't flicking on a flashlight or your smartphone. You had to have a lamp. You had oil. In Matthew, when we were at um, just a Saturday at the men's breakfast, we were going through the virgins and how they had to have oil for their lamps. And some you know, had oil and were ready for the return, ready for their groom to come, and how some didn't. And they did not have oil representing the Holy Spirit and weren't ready for the return of Christ. They, they weren't prepared. And so... We look at this as it continues through in verse 36, and it says, And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, which weddings back then were not like weddings now, four or five hours. They were days. They could have, even if they're in the same town, they could have been four or five days long, have partying and hanging out. And when he comes and knocks, that they may open to him immediately. Now, so be ready for the master, be ready for his return, and when he gets there, you're going to open the door, how? Immediately, right? It's not like, oh, somebody's at the door, go down and no. They're waiting, it's like the, the thought is immediately behind the door. The second they knock, they don't even get finished, the door swings open. You know, I can, um, I, you know, running a roofing company, owning it, going out and running leads and stuff, when I'm on time, dead on time, most of the time, the person's right there, I don't have to wait long. If I'm running five minutes behind and then I'm waiting at the door, they give up. Or if I'm a little early, you know, I ring the doorbell, got to wait, which I don't even think is a thing anymore. Most of you guys, you can tell me, I think most of the time people don't even ring doorbells. 
You get there, you send a text is what you're learning. So if older people like me in here, when you show up at somebody's house, now you just text them, I'm out front. You don't, that button on the door, that's for uh, Amazon and for somebody who's stealing packages or something, I don't know. You know, it's not for friends. You know, it's like your phone, your house phone. If you get a call on your house phone, do you answer it? If you have one in? No, because that's a sales call. Okay, same thing with your doorbell. If it's a friend, they're gonna text me. Your doorbell's for somebody that's selling you something, right? It's kind of how it goes, so at least what I'm learning, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning some new things as I'm getting older or, or having to unlearn some things. In verse 37, so immediately they're there. They're right at the door waiting. In verse 37, we do see the waiting here. It says, blessed are the servants who the master, when he comes in, will find them watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and having set them sit down to eat, he will come and he will serve them. Now, blessed are the servants who are waiting. Blessed. How many think, I mean, when you go through the Bible and you see the blessings, right? Can you imagine, okay, what does it look to be ready to go? If we're waiting for Christ's return, if he was coming two years from now, five years from now, tonight, are you ready to go? There's, there's a friend of ours, a, a friend of the fellowship, he, he's dealing with some health issues. He knows his time is limited. And he's calling me up and he's, he's trying to get his house in order. He's going, you know, I might not be here in a couple months or a couple weeks. I, I got to get these things in order. And so you start to look at your life way different. I don't want my kids to have to deal with all my junk in the garage or whatever. You live lighter. Your perspective's different. You know, his focus and things are on his family and his kids and, and those things and spending that time. And if we are ready to go, is that a blessed life? Isn't that an interesting thing? I mean, could you imagine if we sat down and said, okay, what's a blessed life? Well, somebody that has a really good job, gets a lot of vacation time, has some weekends off, you know what I mean, and has a good retirement. That, that's what the, we generally think of a blessed life. Not somebody who's waiting to leave, right? Waiting to go, you know, and you look at some of the Methodists and the Wesley and stuff, and, and they call them Methodists. The, the term Methodist came from these guys' lives because they were so methodic in the way they lived. Uh, you know, and it, it was talked about, and, and somebody goes, right, well, if, if you die tomorrow, are you ready to go? He goes, every night I make sure everything's in order to where if I died, it's done. Every night before he went to bed, he made sure I could die, and then everything's in order. What an interesting way to live, right? But when you sit there and go, are we ready for the return of Christ? Or will we be caught in a situation that is scary? And here's something really interesting. Look at this in verse 37. It says, so when he comes, he'll, he will find them watching. And assuredly, to, to you, I, assuredly I say to you, which Jesus is the only one that uses this term, or verily, verily in the New King James, I say to you. So assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself up, having them sit down to eat, and he will come and he will serve them. Now think about this. This culture at this time, he says, assuredly, why is he reinforcing this? Because this is totally unbelievable. This is crazy talk in the day, right? Jesus says, okay, so you have these servants. They're waiting for their master. They're waiting for him to return. These are the ones being watchful. And he says, and assuredly, I say to you, when the master comes, he's going to sit him down and serve him. Wait a minute. It's not the way it works. The master gets home and the servants serve the master. And Jesus throws us out there. This would have been very 
kind of like odd. You know, it's like, well, what are you saying here? You know, and praise God, we have the rest of the Bible because we understand what? Jesus is our bride. He's coming, or our groom, and he's coming for us, his bride, right? He's coming for us. He's deciding he wants to serve us. You know what I mean? He wants to bless us. And so for them, this is throwing them all off. This is, whoa, what? Jesus is coming to serve us. And he did. He came to serve us. He gave his life for us. We are his bride. If you're here this morning and you are not the bride of Christ, if you have not begun that relationship with him, be concerned because he is returning. And he is coming. And he's coming for his church. And you want to be part of that church. You want to be his bride when he returns because he is the Lamb of God who sacrificed and gave his life for us. And if he's not your Savior, then he's coming as the Lion of Judah to judge. And there is severe warning in that. He is returning. The time is near. If Paul thought 2,000 years ago the time was near, how much more now? I guarantee you every generation that's passed, his return has gotten closer. And this generation is closer than the last. And so as you see these things, and you see these things unfold, and he, he throws this out there, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know how to put it. I mean, could you imagine you get ready, you get dressed up with your wife, you go out to a nice restaurant, you know, high-end restaurant, you get there and you're like, the waiter comes over and goes, and you're like, you grab the waiter, you sit him down, you say, okay, what do you want? I'm going to make you some food. It'd be odd. They'd be thinking, you're nuts. What do you mean? You're going to go, yeah. I came here, I got off work, we got cleaned up so we can come over here and serve you. That's how shocking this is. And that's what our Savior is. For that faithful servant, blessed is the one who's waiting. And your master's coming, and he's not coming to be served, but to serve us. And serve us eternally. What an awesome thing. Verse 38, and it says, if you should come in a second on the second watch or should come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants so the servant that's waiting and watching for God no matter what time it comes when he comes blessed are those servants going to be again blessed is that life of waiting you know and, and you look oh I just killed that I can sit aside Ooh. and so you look at at this time and these things coming and um you know, there's certain things, though, about this generation that are different than every rest. There's two things that are paramount as far as the return of Christ. Israel, the rebirth of Israel as a nation. There's no other generation that's ever seen that but us. The other thing is the power, nuclear proliferation, however you want to say it. We're, this is the first time we can wipe ourselves off the face of the earth ten times over. Right? And there's a scripture, what Paul said, what? that, that um, if he didn't return, that no flesh would remain. And you think about our Lord, why does he hold off on judging? Why does he hold off so long? When you see wicked men seem to prosper for so long, why is that he waits? Why doesn't he just take them out early on? Well, because number one, most of us in here, we're that wicked man. And aren't we God, glad God didn't just take us out when we were young? Aren't we glad that God was loving and waited for us to change our heart? Do you think our Father is any different with the whole world? We see this destruction and all this thing. Do you think he's waiting and waiting as long as possible? I personally believe this isn't some great theological description. I personally believe 
Jesus is waiting to return until we are forcing him to. In other words, if he doesn't return, like the scripture says, no flesh would exist. In other words, I am waiting until your choice of total destruction is the only thing left, and I'm going to come before that happens. I'm going to wait as long as I can for man to repent and come to him until that last moment. When you get to heaven and you go, well, why did you decide to return now? You know, it's amazing. We sit down and once you're a believer, you're like, yes, Lord, come, return. Let this world go away. Aren't you glad he didn't return? You know, there are some people said he was going to turn in 1978. I'm glad he didn't return then. I'd be going to heaven, I wouldn't be born. <laughs> One year off. You know, some of you guys are really glad he didn't come then. You'd still be in the world, you would have missed it, you know. And you see this, you know, once you're saved, it's like, you know, it's like you find that perfect vacation destination. And once you found it, you don't want anybody else to find it, right? <laughs> like, I want to be here, I want to be here. You know, it's great until, you, you know, you don't want to return until, you know, you're there. So God knows, though. God is long-suffering. I believe he is waiting till that moment. So there, there, there's two things that no other generation's ever seen. They've never seen Israel as a nation. They've never seen it there. Besides talking about the technological advances, I mean, if I would have told you in, in uh, 1918, 100 years ago, that you could buy or sell goods with a mark on your forehead and your hand, like, yeah, okay, I read Jules Verne too. You're saying insane. I mean, right? That's space age. You know, that ain't possible. And now it's possible. And then you go over like, gosh, man, it's probably been over 10 years ago. When we're in Guatemala, you know, you think, oh, well, what about third world countries? We're in a market that's built in a parking structure of the capital. And it's, so it's a multi-layered flea market. And they've taken over all the parking spaces and stuff. Well, you go in there and you barter for whatever, and they give you a little piece of paper with your stuff you're buying when you leave, and they, they give you this mark thing. And when you go to leave, you have to show them the mark thing, the little card they give you, and you check out. There's registers basically at the exits, and to leave with anything, you have to check out. So if you steal it, you're not making it out of there, and so you got to check out with this thing before you get there. And so here we're in a third world country where they don't have anywhere, where they don't have all these things, and, oh, sure, use your ATM card. I'm like, you know, if that's not Larry, right, about hijacking your... You know what I mean? I'm in a third world country. I don't even have to change my currency. I can check out with it, and they'd actually prefer that over the cash. They're like, no, 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 just use your card. Like, no, I'm, I'm too worried about identity theft and everything, whatever, you know, having my whole bank account information. But that's the way it is. I mean, there's, there's areas where we were out in the villages, and there's these little internet cafes, and they have Coke and stuff. You know, these kids are starving. They barely have drinking water, but they'll go in, and they get, a, get all online. And usually it's a barter system they have, these kids that have no money bartering. So when you get that ad that's like, you know, I will buy your car off of Craigslist. Send me a cashier's check or the IRS. You owe the IRS $50,000. You can pay us $10 today, and we'll take care of it. That's probably some little kid in Guatemala on a computer earning his time to play on now, not Minecraft, whatever it is, Fortnite. <laughs> you know, that's how they do it. They work on the computer, they, you know. And why do they let them play on Fortnite and stuff? Their English gets better that way. They can call you their, their verbal, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what's happening there. When you figure out, man, these people want to scam you, you're thinking, what, are they going to try to rip me off for 60 bucks? Yeah, that's a year's income for them. I mean, so... But it's insane, right? You don't have running water. You don't have a running toilet. You're starving. 
and you're trading Coca-Cola and you're on the line. I mean, kids are playing Fortnite that can't eat at night. That's just, would have never thought. But that's the world we live in. Very easy that a mark on your forehead and hand in the Times and, to, and, and see the Antichrist raise on a stage where everybody's going to see him all over the world. So you look at these things. In verse 39 it says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known that uh, the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Pretty basic, right? Anybody been robbed? If you knew the day and the hour that was going to happen, would you have been better prepared? Usually when it happens, you go, man, I wish I would have had a camera up, or I wish I would have had this, or even if you come in contact with the person, you might be wishing for something else, and praise God you didn't have it. Save you some gel time nowadays, I don't know, but you, you look at it, and you go, you know, if you knew the day or the hour, you, you'd be ready to go. You'd know. You wouldn't let somebody break into your house. Therefore, also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I, I don't know what, you know, what's amazing is we can all sit here and go, oh, that's pretty clear, right? How many people have given dates? How are you giving dates if we don't even know, not the day, but not even the hour you expect, right? So when is he coming? Well, you know... Well, this has got to happen. It's going to happen in the, the, the middle of the tribulation because the guy stands up then. Well, doesn't that seem more like a day or an hour? Come on, what, what's going on here? So, to clarify that God is coming in an hour you don't expect. It's going to catch us off guard. You wouldn't have thought it. You know, you think sometimes, oh, yeah, the rapture is going to come when we're in church. I mean, but how many people die at an hour you don't expect to begin with? Car accidents, things come up, right? Those things happen 90% of the time unexpected. Rarely you might say, okay, somebody's going to die in it there. And even if you know somebody's going to be in the hospital, you don't know that exact moment. And I think there's been God's grace where certain family comes in. With my dad, all the kids were there. 24 hours before he passed away. Been sick for three months. 24 hours before my dad passed away, that we had a family gathering, everybody saw him. I think it was totally God's grace. But most of the time, it's totally unexpected. But you know, me being me, I can't give you the day it's going to happen. I can give you an hour. Okay? It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Between 5 o'clock and 5.59, it's going to happen. Somewhere. A.M. and P.M. both, actually. Somewhere in the world it's going to be 5 o'clock. Somewhere when he returns. <laughs> Just because we have a 24-hour clock, if you figure that out. It's, so he's returning at 5 o'clock somewhere. So you guys know, okay? So you write that down. There's, there's Tim's date and hour, hour for you. So we look, and in verse 41, kind of through the rest here, we see the work. And it says, And then Peter said to him, Lord... Do you speak this parable only to us or to all the people? So Peter answers it, asks this question. He goes, is this just for us? Is this for everybody? What's going on here? And I love Jesus. Jesus always seems to do this, is answer a question, or answer, a, yeah, answer a question with a question, right? And, and at first when you read through this, you go, okay, so is this for us? Is this for everybody? Do you understand Peter's confusion here, though? See, because we have the whole word of God, right? We know what's coming. We know he's leaving. We know he's going to the cross. Peter doesn't. 
He's sitting there and going, okay, when the master comes back, can you see this 12 sitting around going, okay, when Jesus was gone up praying, were we ready when he returned? I say, I was more ready than you. I can see the arguments going on about, is he, or, or, you know, and them arguing about, well, you know, when Jesus was gone two days, I was waiting for him, man, and I was a first year ready for him. And I can see this discussion going on, and then Peter going, well, this isn't really making a lot of sense about you coming back and us being ready. We're with you. You know, the master, we're still with the master. I'm confused. Are, are you leaving on a trip? Is this for us? Oh, it's the other people. They're not ready for the Savior. They're not ready for Jesus yet, the Jewish people. And so his questions really kind of fits in with where he's at, right? What is this for us or for everybody else? Because we're with you. I thought we were with the master. So, right, they're at this point are, are kind of confused with the whole thing. And the Lord said to him, who then is a faithful and wise steward whom his master will t- make a ruler over his house to give them their portion of food in due season? So the Lord says, hey, this is, I'm talking to this person. This person is a, who is a faithful steward. And that's what we are. There's our work is to be faithful stewards of what God's given us. You know, a steward of money, a steward of those he's put around us, our family. If you're a, a father and a husband or a mother and, and have children, you're to steward those children. God, they're not yours. You're put as a servant over them. God's given you to be their steward. Now, the really encouraging thing for this is God has made you a steward. If you have kids, God has decided to make you a steward over something. What an honor. Because there's many of us in here with that would not appoint us stewards over some things. We then go, oh, no. You know? But even if you don't have children in here, right, you guys have a stewardship. You have a stewardship over your time. All those things have been given to you. You think of all the resources and stuff we have available to us as a nation, especially a rich nation. What stewardship of your time do you have? You know, when you look at some of the statistics, and McKay was bringing this up on, at the men's thing, you know, the average American looks at his phone every 12 minutes. It's a good steward of your time, you know. You, you look at what is your stewardship, even if it's just your time. There are many cultures where many people do not have time. They do not have health and strength. You know, I'm sure there's many of you in here as you get older would tell younger people, man, be a good steward of that energy you have. Use it for something useful. Don't be doing stupid things like I did. You'll feel it later. You know, you look at that. What has God called and put in your life to be a steward over? Not for it to rule you, not for it to manage you, but for you to steward over it. Most of the time we look at the things in our lives, our family, our work, the finances we have and everything else, and we feel that we are there to serve them in a sense, right? Not that our portion is to steward them for the Lord, that God has given them to us and trusted those things to us for us to manage and take care of. You know, you, you, you look at things and you look at your child and go, well, you know, this, you know, you, especially when you get a young child, oh, they're so needy, right? Constantly needy. And you think, all I have, my whole life is just to take care of this thing and keep it alive. No, your whole life, God's giving you that to steward, take care of. You know, they don't own you, you don't own them. God owns them and you're called to steward them. Our time, our finances, to be a good steward. And this good steward, this faithful steward, this wise steward, when his master 
will make him ruler over his house and give them or give to him their portions of food in due season. So when he comes and the ruler of their house sees him ruling well, he's going to give him what he needs. He's going to give him the food. He's going to provide for him. Right? He's gonna, it's going to be a blessing. He's going to give him everything he needs to be a good steward. He's going to provide. Verse 43 says, Blessed is the servant whose master will find him so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. It makes sense. If you come in and somebody's a good steward and they're doing a good job, you're going to give them more. You're going to bless them more. If you're giving them food to manage a whole household, can you imagine, you know, in our culture it's a little different, but if you were the head servant of a home and you had all the other servants under and your job was to manage the finances and the master, the, the owner's gone for a long time, you're, you're to direct the funds and to take care of it and steward over it and make sure everybody's fed and well. And if you do those things well, well, yeah, he's going to put you up higher. The better you do in little, he's going to there. You know, and, the, and, and very much in, in ministry and those things, people desire to be in ministry, which is a good desire in those things. Are you being a good, faithful steward with what God's given you? Um, I, I, you know, sometimes you see, oh, yeah, I want to be, oh, I've, I'm called to do this, or I'm called to do that. Oh, well, you serve? You want to serve? Yeah. Want to serve? Oh, well, no, 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 I don't want to serve there. Well, okay. Well, are you serving in your home? No, 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 I'm called to do ministry other places, not my home. You know, I want to be a pastor of a church and manage the family of God, and I don't want to manage my home. That's, that's you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's whatever excuse they come up. Well, you know, that's not really my, no, be a good steward of what you have, and God will bless you with more. And so you look at those things. We look for those things in, in ministry. You know, when somebody it rules his own house while in Timothy, we look for those characteristics, and, and very much God does too in our lives. If you're a good steward in this world, in this time, there's a blessing to come. There's going to be blessings to come. You know, um, see, I, I have this, this unique ability being a boss. Some, some people don't, I don't know if, if I just think differently or if every boss thinks this way. I pay attention to certain things. You know, there, there are some jobs you get into, they're more large corporation and stuff, and who you work with and how you like, you know, who likes you and, and the social politics is a big part of it, right? Not anywhere I've worked. I've worked construction. It's rough. There isn't a lot of, of politics. It's, it's very much based more on your performance, which I like personally. And being a boss and, and being a general manager for years and stuff, there's certain things I look for. One of the things is I always get out on a job, you're running a job, you're managing a job, and I have to leave and go take care of something. When I leave as a boss, what happens? Are you still working? What's going on? I guarantee you, 90% of the time when I leave a job, guess what happens? Break! Boss is gone, I'm going to break, the bathroom, it's this or that. Sometimes I'll just drive away from the job, which I have one of my employees here, so he'll be looking. I, I drive away from the job, and I'll wait to see what happens. You know, and what I, what I know always seems to happen, I can tell you when they get back to work, because nowadays we have these things called cell phones. So what happens is I leave the job. I know when breaks over. You know why? Because before I leave the job, I leave instructions. Hey, get this done, get that done, get this thing in this order in that direction, right? The first thing they have to get done on that list, 15 minutes after I leave the job, 20 minutes after they leave, when they've decided their break's over, I get a call asking for clarification about what they were supposed to do first before everything else. That's when I know they're getting back to work. 
because if you've been there for 15 minutes and you haven't figured this out, I have some deep concerns, you know? And sometimes they just miss it all together. You know why? Because when the boss says, hey, I gotta take off, I need you to do this, the second I say, I gotta take off, I've lost them. They're gone, they've checked out. They're no longer carrying that. I'm just like, you know, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 parent, right? None of the directions come. You know what they're thinking about? I'm gonna check Facebook, I'm gonna call my wife, I gotta go to the bathroom, I'm gonna, whatever, I need some chips, whatever the thing is. They've, they've totally missed all the directions because now they're thinking about, the boss is gone, what can I get away with for the next 20 minutes? And they haven't heard anything I've said as far as the instructions. And so, anyway, so, yeah, pay attention, Zach. No. <laughs> you know, Jeremy will have to listen to the message online. No, but it's the truth, right? The boss is gone, it's gone. When you're a kid and your parents are leaving to run errands, what does your parent do? They give you a list. Heidi does a nice, like, Heidi makes it easy. I, he, she gives them a checklist with a box, you know, like, it's all written out here, A, B, C, D. What happens? The second she's gone, they're thinking about what they can do, and then, uh-oh, she's coming back. Let's get this list done real quick, and, you know, they're not doing the list first. Well, maybe Abigail, but the rest of my kids aren't, you know? They're the last minute. Me, when you go to school and they give you a syllabus and you have the due dates, what do you look for? The due dates. You don't look about what you have to get done. The, the due dates. And then sometimes you make a mistake. You know, oh yeah, that thing's coming up tomorrow. And you look up and it's, oh, a 35-page report. Yeah, you should have read that four months ago. You know, it's just like the due date on that thing. And that's how it goes. And, and this heart, right? Blessed is the servant who will find a master. And he's, he's doing those things. But if you're the servant, that's not. If you're the one waiting, if you're the one waiting for the boss to leave and see how much you can get away with or anything like that, that's your heart. But the servant that says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on that day when he is out or when he is not looking for him. And in that hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him into two, and the point, appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Ooh, you know, that's, you know, stern warning to my employees. No, <laughs> you know, cut him in two. And you look at this, and really I see, you see God's heart because what's going on here? What's going on? You see abuse. He, he's, this, this master's now taking his position, and he's not only used it to his own advantage, but he's abusing those that he's supposed to be stewards over. Those people are now for his benefit. You know, you look at how many ministries where they're not returned, they're not worried about the return of Christ. They're worried about how much money is going in their pocketbook and, and all this. The guy who was, you know, out there prophesying, oh, yeah, the ruin of the world's coming and selling houses and all these things, right? And people are selling houses. The guy was buying real estate. The guy was... Investing. The guy had an investment portfolio. Did you know that came out? The guy was making all this money off all these ministries. We're investing stocks in companies. Why would you be doing that if you're supposed to not be here? Why are you planning for your future if you really believe you're leaving? He was beating and harming people for financial gain. You know, and many times you see that when you are not focused on God. Now, hey, these people, the situation, they're for my advantage. They're for my pocket. I'm now about me. I'm about myself. 
And God's going to judge those people severely. You know, you, can, you sit there and when you look at covetousness, hypocrisy, greed, all those things, what does it do to those around us? You no longer look at people the way Christ does as, hey, he desires that person, he loves them, he wants a relationship with them. It is, does this person benefit me or doesn't he benefit me? You know, and you look and you go, okay, well, don't maybe beat servants or things like that. But where's your focus? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, um, I'd really like to help you out, but I'm financially tight because I want some more junk in my life. I know you're really hurting right now and, and you, I could, you could use some financial help, but I'm sorry, my desires, not my needs, my desires come before you, my wants, you know. We, we, we can do that with each other, we can do that in our lives where we're focused, if our focus is off, there. The whole point of this, when they go through, and where we went through with the virgins in that story, is that Jesus is returning. He wants us to be ready. We should always be ready for his coming back. We should live with that heavenly perspective that he can be here tomorrow at any time. You know, you, you sit down, and um, since my dad knew he was going to be dying for quite some time, he had a whole different perspective. I had a different father than my older brother's siblings. There's kind of a good age gap between the two of us, but my dad knew he was going to die. He knew his time was going to be short for many years. He lived longer than he thought he would. So how, how do you, what's your perspective? How do you take care of your family? If you sat down and said, okay, you have three years with your kids or with your wife or with your family, three years of influence left, how would you spend it? Are you ready? Have you been a good steward of those things God's put in your life? You know, the first thought watching my dad go through stuff was he, he wanted to provide. And you find out there's, you still got to pay the bills every day. There's no way you're going to make any more money. There's no, can't provide anything more than God's going to give you. There's, there's a limit to what you can provide financially. So what's the most important thing? So that your kids are well fed for the rest of their lives? Well, if I gave my kids a million dollar right now, it probably would be blown pretty quick. Well, some of them, Abigail, would probably be do well for a long time. But you're right, the financially, what are they going to do? The more importantly is their heart, right? Do they have a relationship with God? Are they, are they going to be safe? Is he their Heavenly Father when sin comes, when destruction comes? Because no amount of money is going to keep you from sin or destruction. Even actually more money could cause more sin and destruction. Right? Are you being a good steward of what you have? Do you, those around you know the truth? And God wants us to live and be ready. Again, those things that are not a blessing in our lives, the things that destroy us are the world, desiring the things of this world, the want, want more, want more, or worrying about what we have or what we're going to lose, compared to watching for Messiah to come, being ready, watching, waiting for him, being patient. Not just, oh, I, I watched, now I'm done. No, being watchful, waiting patiently for the Lord's return, and doing work, work, doing his work. What is his work? The Bible says, love others as I, I love you. Love you as, or love, love your neighbor as, I lo as you love yourself. 
you look at that. You slow down and you look at the Word of God and what we're supposed to be doing. What's of importance? What is the work of our Father? What work are we called? You know, the ministry is considered a great work, but it is work. It's not just waiting. Okay, but God, what's there? Again, this perspective comes and it really changes things. If you have unforgiveness towards somebody, you're sitting there and you're looking at unforgiveness. How many times do people live with bitterness between family members for years until somebody's sick and going to die? Or they die immediately and then there's this regret, we never solved this problem. If you're living as tomorrow is your last day, are you going to let something be unforgiven and unsolved? No. You're going to be living in a loving way. And you're willing to what? Put aside what? Now you're no longer concerned. If I'm dying, I'm no longer concerned about who wronged me and what grudge I'm... No, that's not important. What's important is this other person and this relationship, Right? If you're living through this world and you look at those who are lost in sin and you go, man, they're horrible to this. I can't believe this person wronged me. Guess what? Jesus is returning soon. We're all going to be out of here. And Jesus wants to reconcile the whole world to himself. You sit there and you look at the word and you look at the word of God and you go, okay, what does that mean? How do I apply this? How can I love that horrible person? It's coming to an end. How can I let that thing go? Well, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to love them and I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to be loving towards them. I'm going to love my enemy. And if they reject them to the end, then judgment's coming. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to make it my cause. I don't need to get on whatever social media and blow the person up and let everybody know how it, no, God's going to deal with them. He's returning soon. I'll just let him deal with it. That's not important. What's important is what? My family, what God wants to do. And so you slow down. If we are truly living, ready to go, what are you focused on? It changes the whole focus of your life. And what is that life? Again, that life is a blessed life. That's the blessed life. Of waiting on God. And watching and working. As he's called us to work. And so we look at, you know, Paul in Romans says, you know, the night is spent. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is at the door. He's ready to come through. James said, be patient. The coming of the Lord is drawing near. The dawn is near. Peter said, at the end of all these things is at hand, so be sober-minded. John said, little sheep, it is the last times. And Jesus tells us to be ready. To be ready. You know, when you look at some of these things people struggle with, you know, tribulation, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Um, we're probably all wrong. I'm thinking maybe we're quarter-trib now. I don't know. No-trib. You know, everybody has an opinion, you know, and I, I, you get one that says, well, you know, pre-trib didn't even exist, uh, you know, until the 1800s. Uh, you know, look at... Uh, look at... Uh, church historic doctrines, it's not there. Okay, well, church historic doctrine's a mess. You know, I realized church historic doctrine for over 1,200 years, faith was based on works. 
until you had what? Calvin, Luther, uh, Hurst. You know, these men that came out almost like, well, Hurst lost his life for the what? The reawakening, the re-looking at Scripture. It's not church doctrine we're looking at. We're looking at the New Testament. You look at the New Testament, what does it say? What does it clearly say again and again and again? Be ready. Be ready, be ready, be ready. Post-tribs will go, hey, we got three and a half years until the temple of this. Mid-trib, I mean, you get all these different... The Bible says again and again and again, the doctrine is what? Be ready. Be ready. You know, Calvin and them, for years it wasn't justification by faith, it was works. Church history is a mess. And when you look at church history, you go, why did God bother with us at all? I mean, especially the religious ones, they're scary. Really scary, some church history people. But you sit there and you look, and man sits here and says, ah, God's delayed. You know, he's not going to return until, come up with the prophecy thing, right? Oh, he's not going to return until the temple's rebuilt in Israel. He's not going to return until this. He's not going to return until that. He's not going to return until we see the Antichrist first. He's not going to return. No, be ready now. If he's not coming for us all, he might be coming just for you. So be ready. Be ready for the return of Christ. And as we continue on, look, look at verse 47 with me. Verse 47, and it says, And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself nor do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Ouch. Right? That's heavy. That's conviction. You know, if you're getting convicted here for you, I don't feel bad. I've been dealing with this all week. I've got to prepare. Right? Ouch, you know? If you know the master's coming, you're not prepared, you're going to get beaten with many stripes. Verse 48 says, But he who did know, or did not know, yet committed these things through reserving of stripes, shall be bitten, beaten with few. He didn't know. He was ignorant of these things, but he'll, he'll be beaten with some few stripes. For everyone to whom much is given... For him, much will be required. And to whom who has been committed of him, they will ask more. So as these things that God has given much, and as he's committed more to you, there's going to be more asked of you. You know, you sit here and you look through church history, you look at a time. Do you realize what's available to us as far as the scripture and God's word? Especially as this nation. As a nation, most of us are very literate. And if we aren't literate, well, read well at all, guess what? You can listen to the Bible online. You can hear the Word of God. You have the whole, complete Word of God. Talk about much given. There's other cultures in different places and where, like, my sister and my mom serve a gospel for Asia. The hardest thing is in India, there are so many different languages and such great illiteracy to try to even get the gospel in that you have teachers that are going out to train, but even finding materials to train those things. And so one of the biggest things is going in and translating the Bible into all these languages so they can hear it, at least. A lot easier if they can hear it in their own language, the scripture. And so... Especially as a culture and a nation, what's available to us, even study tools. Man, you want to get deep in the scripture? What used to take, you know, you could ever, anybody ever seen a Strong's Concordance? Then they had the strongest Strong's and the stronger Strong's and the strongest ever Strong's. And then they, you know, they, and now you don't see them too much anymore. You know why? 
because I can do this all this cross-referencing and flipping back and forth in this book with a click of a mouse. Blue letter Bible is easy. Logos, there's all these software. What? Boom. What was the Greek? What was the Hebrew? Ooh, I want to hear that pronounced right because I can pronounce, you know, and I don't even try to repronounce it, but I can hear it. You know, and, and you sit there and you look at those things. Be ready. The Bible talks about those talents in Matthew. If you want to look there later in Matthew uh, chapter 25, look at there, there are four, 24, 25, the talents. God gives talents. He expects a return. God's given us much. You know, he's going to come like a thief in a night. You know, this week, you know, you kind of sit there and you go, if, if you knew something was going to happen, would you prepare for it? I rely as a roofer on weathermen way too much. I don't like to rely on them. I wish their name was Jesus and they were a savior because they are wrong so many times. They're wrong. I, I tear off a roof. We're working on a, a big commercial building. It's got millions of dollars worth of machinery right under where we're working. And it's this metal internal drain that when it rains hard, it overflows and leaks. And so we're cutting back metal paneling about as high as the ceiling out, having to be tired off. And we got to plywood it in and build a whole new system to get the water off there. So right now we have about two football fields of roof that dump into this gutter. And we're going to cut a hole 12 feet wide across that section, make a huge hole above this equipment. So we've been waiting for good weather to do it. And this week was good weather, right? Yeah. No. Actually, what happened, um, was it Friday morning? Friday morning at 530, I get a call. Yeah, there's a couple drips coming in. So I run over there, I get some of these towel things, absorbent towels. What had happened is, because it got freezing, the, the condensation in the air, the moisture in the air, freezes to the top of the metal building. And as the building starts to heat up, all that condensation starts to melt and ice starts to run down. So now I got all this water running down to the center of this roof. If I would have known that was going to happen, Zach would have worked two hours longer the night before and finished welding some seams up. Since he did not, and since I had no foreknowledge, I rushed out there, stole the house towels, and grabbed my son, and we sat out there in the freezing cold and the ice and cleaned the ice away from the seam before it melted with a hot air welder, because, you know, that always works good with ice you're trying not to melt, and weld these seams together enough to where we don't, you know, rely or have my uh, general liability insurance thank me for covering some expensive equipment. You know, if I would have known, there's many times I've never tear off a roof if I know it's going to rain. Does know. He's coming like a thief in the night. You're not going to be ready for it. It's going to catch you off guard. Somewhere it's going to be five in the morning. Somewhere somebody's going to be eating. It's going to be all kinds of things. There was a, a, a story I heard from a, a pastor that was um, at a Bible college over there, the castle, Calvary Chapel Bible College Castle. And this woman, there was an a, um, article in the newspaper from this woman and um, they were talking about, I guess, and so he hears a story. There's a woman who found out her husband was cheating on him. She got very depressed. Um, she went through several stages of where she wanted to kill him. She was going to kill the other person. She was going to kill him and going back and forth. And then she's just so depressed, she decided she's going to just kill herself and end it. And so five-story apartment, she jumps off the top of the apartment um, her husband was coming home, and he, she landed on him and killed him and lived. So the moral of the story could go all kinds of ways, obviously. But in this case, be ready. You don't know what's coming. You know, be ready. So this morning, if you're convicted, and, and God's convicted you about things and areas in your life that aren't ready to go, 
Areas where you need to gird yourself up for you're ready to there. Areas where you need to be a better steward. Take it to heart. Apply it to your life. God is not tapping on your heart, tugging your, your heart and convicting you of these things and saying, nanner, nanner, nanner. He's going to give you the ability. He's going to provide everything you need to do those things and do those things well. God's given us the whole word of God. If you have a, a problem, a relationship in your life, you're having a hard time dealing with it, talk to us, sit down. We'll look at, not me, my opinion. We'll look at the Word of God. We'll point to the Word of God. What does God have? How does God want us to have that? What has He provided for you? Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life in those areas of things. That's one aspect. That's what I was going through all the beginning of the week. And then last night, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and going through it, the bridegroom is coming for us. He's coming for us. He wants to know us to know that he's returning for us. Isn't that awesome? So, okay, yeah, we've got to be good stewards and stuff, but he's coming for us. He didn't leave us here. Hey, you know, good luck. I'll catch you. No, he can't wait to come for us. He wants to know he's returning. We know where this road in life ends. We know the direction it's headed, and it's good. We are heading to a place that would blow your mind. We get to sit in the presence with our God. You know, you think of that, that day that, you know, you're finally going to get to meet that special person or, or that person's coming. I mean, it, could you imagine being gone from away from your spouse for a year and that day coming, five years and that day coming when you get to see them again? I mean, would you even sleep the night before? Forget, be ready. You know, guys, I know, you know, girls in here, definitely, if you hadn't seen your spouse and, or your loved one, and, and especially your spouse in five years, you'd be fixing the makeup up and everything else. But guys, I guarantee you, if you didn't see your wife five years, you'd be, you know, you'd be ready. And you'd be excited. We should be excited. God's returning for us. Yes, he's called us to be ready, but have that joy. Gosh, man, we got to walk out here. God's coming back. It's coming back soon. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you just um, how amazing you are. What an awesome God we serve. We thank you that you are coming for us. That not only that you, you are willing to love us, to pay for our sin, but that you desire us, God, that your desire is for us and that you are just waiting. You're, you want to be there. You want us to be waiting for you. Help us not to get distracted by this world, by our wants or our worries, but that we just be watching, waiting, and preparing for you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.